Hello and welcome to the Wonder Baba podcast. My name is Sheena Mitchell. I'm a pharmacist and mum of three. I combine healthcare and practical advice to help you on your parenting journey. If you enjoy listening to a Wonder Baba podcast, I'd be really grateful if you could follow or subscribe and leave a review. It really helps to support the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to partner with one of my all-time favorite products, Salon Plus. This is the world's first 100% natural dry salt therapy device. It's clinically proven to relieve a wide variety of allergens and respiratory conditions. This salt therapy method has been trusted for generations and has become hugely popular worldwide as more and more people recognize the superb results achieved from a natural and non-invasive method. This device will help you breathe easier and sleep better. The intention of this week's episode was to share a mother's experience of RSV. Actually, what happened was so much more. Today, I chat with Sinead Hingston-Green and we chat about her little boy, Albie's experience of RSV. But as with every one of my real life's episodes, there's so much more to real life than just the presentation of an illness. We chat about how hard it is for Sinead to see a child sick now after the loss of Jeff, her husband, in tragic circumstances about 11 years ago. At the time of Jeff's death, Sinead was 19 weeks pregnant with her beautiful daughter. Since then, Sinead has met Michael and they have two more beautiful children. But before the birth of Albie, Sinead tragically suffered from four miscarriages. Obviously, all of life's experiences and life's losses shape who we are today. And it was incredible to hear about the emotional impact that has when Sinead is dealing with a child with illness. Sinead is a wonderfully practical mum. And throughout this episode, we talk so much about the issues surrounding RSV and how long it normally takes to present itself and its relationship with bronchiolitis and what happens to your baby's airways. We also chat about how to help spot RSV and bronchiolitis through breathing patterns and other warning symptoms. Sinead shares her whole story and I'm very glad to say that little Albie pops on (laughs) to help present his side of things. So at points of this, obviously, baby Albie is chatting in the background. But I think if you're listening to my podcast, you're probably a parent and you probably feel more at ease with two adults chatting over (laughs) a giggly baby. I wish I had video because Albie is so adorable. He spent his time smiling and waving at me. And yeah, us mammies did what we do best and multitask. I really hope you enjoy getting to know Sinead and that you learn a lot as we discuss all relevant medical information about RSV and bronchiolitis. Thanks so much for joining me today, Sinead. Thank you for having me. It's great. I'm delighted because... I think we were speaking there just before we started recording about how important it is to talk about bronchiolitis because it's one of those conditions that no one seems to have real awareness about. And I think it's a bit confusing because it's referenced to as RSV and bronchiolitis. So you have had a recent experience of bronchiolitis. Can you tell me a bit about yes. it? Yes, <laughs> we. My husband is South African. Um, and just to give you a, a little bit of a backstory about me. So I, my first husband passed away 11 years ago now when I was pregnant with my first little girl. So Lily is 11 in December. So he died very suddenly. We were just on holidays in Portugal. We'd only just got married seven months before. Um, and we had gone to Portugal 
the following July, got married in December, and we were a week into the holiday, and he died very, very suddenly. The day my my parents and his dad were with us, um, and they were due to go home that day, and he died at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. We were out on a boat trip, so I won't get into it too much because obviously that's not what this podcast is about. But just to give you an idea of my background, um, it was a huge shock, obviously, um, and then a couple of years later, I met Michael. So we obviously got together and we went on to have Dylan, who is now four and a half. And then we decided we would go for number three. And yeah, just kind of assumed that we would, you know, do the deed, get pregnant and have a baby. Um, But unfortunately, we actually had four back-to-back miscarriages. We were trying to have our third little guy. Um, But very luckily and blessed to have an Albie in our lives now. So he was born... December last year, so the 13th of December 2021, and he is just, yeah, he's divine. Anyway, he's a total dreamboat. Um, but Michael is South African, so we, he turned 40 this year, and he decided, well, I decided that we'd book flights to head over to his mates for his 40th. So we went over in April for Easter, and I got on the plane. We all got on the plane. Everything was fine. You wore your masks as much as you possibly could on the flight. Landed in South Africa, and we were staying with friends of his, and their little son wasn't wasn't overly sick, but he wasn't overly well either. He had a bit of a cold. I didn't think anything of it. Like genuinely just didn't think anything of it because, you know, Albie's around Dylan and Lily all the time. So they all come home with colds all the time. Um, so we went away for Michael's birthday weekend. So we landed on the Wednesday and we went away that Friday then for the long weekend. And we were away Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And by the Sunday... Albie was starting to get a little tiny bit of a cough, you know, bit of a runny nose, nothing too worrying, just a normal cold. Um, and the place that we stayed, it was beautifully sunny on the Friday. But on the Saturday, we woke up to like torrential downpours and we were in kind of like a, it was almost like a cement kind of glamping place. Like it was a, you know, a camping style place. Um, so it was very damp and very wet for the whole entire weekend. It just didn't let up. Um, so then the Tuesday, we were due to go to a private game reserve. Um, and we kind of waited then until the Wednesday to go. And we left very late. So it was dark when we were leaving. And Albie had gotten worse over a couple of days before that. But again, you know, a couple of his friends are doctors. And they said, look, just keep an eye on him. And um, they had actually given him stuff to give them in a nebulizer either they're pediatric doctors so they knew what they were doing and knew what they were prescribing to him and i was happy enough to trust them to do that so i'd given him the nebs to kind of i suppose ease it a little bit for him because his cough was getting a bit worse um anyway we went to go to this private game reserve and we ended up hitting a pothole on the way and getting a double blowout in the car we were driving stop oh god it was horrific <laughs> absolutely horrific pitch dark south africa like a really dark side road off the motorway like I was petrified petrified um, Albie's screaming his head off Dylan's screaming his head off we're on the side of the road so long story short his friend that we had been staying with ended up having to come and get us and bring us back to his house in Pretoria so we're back in the house and got Albie to sleep but we he had gotten to the stage that he he was really phlegmy um, so every time I fed him I was still breastfeeding at the time every time I fed him He'd feed fine, but then he'd cough and he'd literally just gag it all up and like projectile gagging this feed back up again. So it was like it was going down, but it wasn't yeah. 
able to stay down because it was too much phlegm. So I was, I was getting a bit more worried about him. His temperature wasn't overly high at all. Like it was 38.1 maybe. Like there was no, yeah. there was no alarm there for me either. Um, and then a couple, like his friends were saying, look, you know, it could be RSV. So and I was like, could be what? Like I have never heard of this thing before in my life. And I was worried it was COVID. So we'd done an, a COVID swab and that was negative. So I was like, God, you know, it's really strange. Like the, the first thing that jumps into your head and they start coughing and, and nose going. Yeah. Um, so we had actually seen just be sorry, I forgot this bit. Just before we left to go to the game reserve, we had seen um, one of Michael's friends, colleagues in the pediatric hospital in Pretoria. So I brought Abby into her. She had said, look, and she had given me a whole load of prescriptions and said, look, I don't know if I'm happy with you going. And then she rang Paul, his friend, and Paul was like, they're only an hour away. And she said, okay, fine, go. But if he gets any worse, he'd come straight back. So this was, sorry, just before we had left to go to this place. Um, anyway, ended up coming back, back into her then on the Thursday and said, look, I'm going to send you to a physio and hopefully it'll clear the phlegm. So I said, perfect. So I went to the physio appointment um, and I was dead late. I, we went to the wrong place first. because Obviously, we're in South Africa and I'm literally all over the shop. Um, and when I got there, I was in just this like bag of sweat. I think 10 minutes late for the appointment. The physio was not impressed with me at all because obviously it was late in the afternoon. And I literally just stood there and went, if you can't take him, that's fine. But like, please don't stand there and judge me for being late. And I just burst out crying. I was like, I have this sick baby. I'm doing my best. Like, I was just going, please don't judge me for being late. I'm trying. The stress. So we had, oh my God, total stress. I'm not knowing at this point what was going on with them, really. Like, he had had the nebulizers. They didn't seem to be helping. So she did her physio on him. He was hysterical for most of it until the end when... He finally coughed up, obviously, what was bothering him, you know, and what was making him cough. Um, and I find the physio fascinating, the way they did it on on the babies, like, you know, the way they patted them and all the rest. I know they don't do that here. But, you know, I need to say we were in South Africa and they do things very differently over there. And do you know what's interesting about that? Because they use that type of physio really frequently on cystic fibrosis patients here. Um and it does because cystic fibrosis, they get an awful lot of excess mucus and thick mucus down in the lungs. Yeah. And physio can be the only thing to help loosen that. And it, it becomes part of, you know, the baby's cares day first thing in the morning, try and lift that mucus. Yeah. Bronchiolitis is really tricky because often it's a dry cough. So, you know, no mucus on the chest. But as you said there, because it's associated with the runny nose, all of a sudden you have this nasal drip and it yeah. just, yeah. Be- but he was just full of phlegm. Like yeah. he just, nothing was staying down because he was so full of phlegm. Um, so she did the physio and he, again, at the very end, just vomited everything. Yeah. And he just stopped crying and it was like smiling again. And it was like whatever was blocking had relieved and he was just happy again. Um, so before we left, she said, look, I'm really just not happy with him. Like, he was only four months old. Um, and she said, I would like you to go over to A&E over in the main hospital again and just get them to give him a once-over. I'm just I'm just not happy with him. I'm not happy with his breathing. I'm not happy with how upset he was when you got here. Like, it's great now that he's happier. 
Um, but she said, look, I just, I would rather you went back over and just have him checked out. And I was like, absolutely no problem. So we walked outside and he literally got sick everywhere. Started coughing but to the point that he couldn't actually catch his breath because he was coughing so much. And it just gave me an awful fright. So we went over, back over to the hospital again. Michael had the other two. And like, I'm on my own here again, you know, sitting in a hospital. It just kind of brought back all the the trauma from the miscarriages and being on my own in hospital. Like, it was just, it was really hard. Um, so we went into A&E and thankfully the doctor, the consultant that had seen us the couple of days before had come down. Absolute earth angel. She checked me out and she said, no, like, you can't go home. Sorry. Like, his breathing is really distressed. And she said, see the way he's pulling in underneath his ribcage like he's not breathing normally he's actually pulling in the waist and you know he was doing it really rapidly at that stage because he had had such a coughing fit he was just not in a great way but yeah so they kept us in and they had him on oxygen very quickly after checking him out they did swabs and they did a chest x-ray and like to be fair they were so thorough like with all of the things that they did for him um, and it came back that he had, he didn't have COVID, he had RSV and bronchiolitis. Um, and I am going to have to just run up and grab him if that's okay. Absolutely. He's going to join us. <laughs> Hello, Hello. He is just gorgeous. He's just got he's the... Not even, he's not ready to wake up. He won't stand up. You always know when he's still tired. He's like, it's like cuddles, cuddle me. <laughs> Entertain me. Yeah. <laughs> I was bored up there. Um, literally half an hour god um oh, i know those days they, oh i beg your pardon um <laughs> yeah so we she told us that we'd have to stay the night anyway but i knew by her that we would be staying a lot longer than one night um so we were checked in thankfully extremely busy um the hospital was absolutely full of tiny little kids with rsv um and thankfully again got a private room which was amazing because we ended up being in there for six nights um so the day after we got there i think we probably hit the peak the kind of morning after was absolutely horrific he couldn't he just he just kept coughing and he kept at that stage it was almost like dry retching because he was struggling to keep anything down now i was exclusively breastfeeding so i just offered him feeds as much as possible in the hope that he'd keep some of it down um, and to be fair, he, he did well with the feeding. Like he, his appetite never really went away, but it was just trying to get him to to keep it down. That can be an easier yeah. thing when you're breastfeeding because you can do little enough, and you know rather than absolutely, yeah, you, you know sometimes. Well, I be, brought in a cot, and I just said, look, there's no point in you bringing that into the room. He's not going to stay in it. So I kind of made like a a cot bed, I suppose, the two of us, and then they actually brought in an adult bed with the side, the big sides on it. And the two was just basically camped out there for the week. And there was a lot of skin to skin and like he had oxygen on. So it was really hard. You had to maneuver that all the time or like the, the tubes for it. Um, and he had physio twice a day, which I just, it like it was a godsend. Like if he didn't have that, he'd spend a whole night kind of gagging and retching and he'd have his physio in the morning and he'd be like a new baby for a few hours until it built back up again. Yeah. And then he'd have more physio in the afternoon and again, like a new baby. Like it was just... And how how many days in was that Thursday? Was that five days in maybe to the start of kind of symptoms? So he started, he was symptomatic on the Sunday. So, so it's, yeah, four days in. And that's really typical. And that's where it's tricky because 
you know, you're at home dealing with what you think is a cold or whatever, just a normal mm-hmm. little kind of bug. Um, but bronchiolitis peaks at three to five days. And yeah. that's that's And it was like clockwork. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like because this is the one situation that, you know, you kind of say to parents, actually set your alarm and go in and check on on your baby during the night, whereas normally you kind of wake when they wake and, you know, you don't really want to you know, be losing any sleep because babies are awake often yeah. enough anyway. But yeah. it's no harm because like you said there, there's a lot you can do. You can visually see the breathing deteriorate. With the... Yes, Albie, that's right. <laughs> um, you can see the breathing, you know, go in, you can see their chest rays and they're really, I suppose, part and parcel is the risk of dehydration. So you can have a little feel of their head to make sure that the soft spot isn't sunken and... You know, it, it's hard because you're trying to yeah. assess so many things. I can't imagine the fright you had, you know, as you kind of started to realize things were deteriorating at that three to five days. Yeah, I think when we when we hit the, the worst day, like, I don't know. I mean, I think the average person is just like, oh, it's fine. You know, it'll start getting better from here on in. But I tend to go to dark places. That's I just, I, yeah, I suppose the reality is, is for me is that like God he could die you know and I'm away again I'm in a foreign country and I'm back in the hospital and I'm like oh my god I can't do this again you know this this real fear of like sorry can babies die from this thing that I've never heard of before like yeah. and the reality is you know if you know you, you've no idea you know one baby could actually be okay with it but the next baby might be very very ill and end up in ICU with it you know yeah. it's it it's is. just one of those things that you just don't know how bad it's going to get before it starts to get better. And especially if people have babies that are kind of premature or have any other underlying respiratory conditions or any weak immune system. But, you know, something this is kind of strange, but something that really struck me there when you were describing the story. I've heard you speak about um, Jeff, who passed away in Portugal before. I've heard you talk about that story and you described the wet, the change in weather, and all of a sudden it was cold. Yeah. Oh my god, it was bizarre. And it's just weird there that you say everything was lovely, and then you know the weather changed. The weather. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm a real. It's very metaphorical. Like it's just weird. It's one of those things that you're like, oh, you know, yeah. connected. Like not that obviously, you know, something bad isn't going to happen every time the weather changes. Because realistically, we live in Ireland. That would be every day. But I yeah. can imagine for you. You know, you're going, oh, oh, like the last your association. Again. Yeah, is just oh, yeah, yeah. so negative. Yeah. Um, look, first time mammies, especially, but actually even me now on my third child, like if if any of them are sick, you just get super frightened, regardless of your kind of grief history or, you know, your experience of loss before. But in that scenario oh. and especially you know, after suffering the miscarriages, I just, yeah, I, I imagine. And we had just had COVID in the February. So we'd actually been in Tala for the, the seven days isolation period, really, in the February. Yeah. And that was only a couple of months before that. And like he actually, both of us, I got COVID first and then I obviously gave it to him. Just, you know, makes you feel really wonderful about yourself. Um, so he was only eight weeks when he had COVID. So that's why they kept him in, ta- in Tala for the week. Because they just said he was under the 10 weeks. Yeah. And it was more precautionary than anything else. He was actually totally fine. Again, very low grade temperature. But that was it. Like nothing else happened to him. Um, 
But I suppose I was worried that because he had just had COVID in February, that he wasn't going to be able to fight this. Yeah. Because it was so soon after in my head. But I can't, I can't even describe. I know they say that babies bounce back. Like after he reached the, the peak on that awful day that we had of him really just coughing and just being so full of mucus constantly, they had to do um, the saline wash, Yeah, I think twice that day because he just couldn't, couldn't shift himself. Um, and literally the day after, like he just started to come back again. And I was like, oh my God, this is like insane. Just like that. It's like, it's like they go to the worst place and then all of a sudden the bounce back is just incredible um if only we so could bounce we, back as quick <laughs> oh i know i know I just remember i remember crying i cried the whole night i just remember thinking like i thought i thought i was going home like they were all in the kingdom like michael and lily and dylan um with michael's parents waving away waving at me. um they were all in the kingdom like a resort and I was so, and they were ages away from me, so I, Michael wasn't coming in to visit at that stage. So they were gone too far away to be able to come back and visit. So all of Michael's friends, to be fair, spoiled us rotten, and they sent stuff into us. But you couldn't have anybody else in the ward because the ward was absolutely riddled with the RSV. So I just, I just sat and cried, and they said, "Look, we're going to have to put him back on the oxygen." And I was like, "Okay." Like part of you is like, "Oh my God, that's fine," because obviously he needs it. Yeah. But the other part of me was just absolutely devastated, and I just, I just remember the loneliness being in there. Like you got this worry about your baby, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're there by yourself. You know, yeah. it's a really lonely time for parents. Like a lot of the time parents have other children at home. So their husbands or their, their wives, whoever's in there is at home with the other kids. And you're, you, you're taking on the load of the worry almost because the other parent is kind of living, living life with the other kids, you know? But then um, sometimes you feel sorry for the person at home because they feel so out of control. Well, yeah. there's the other side of it yeah. you've got all of this to think about and worry about on top of a sick baby but yeah i find like i i take great comfort in instagram in in times like that like people with similar experiences that kind of say to you look you know you're going to be fine he's going to he's going to reach a really bad peak and it's going to be a horrible day but after that he's going to start getting better and you know just listening to people who actually have been there and all that's through kind of i suppose sharing your experiences on instagram which I have always taken great comfort in. But yeah, it was it was just really scary because I, I had never heard of RSV before. I'd never been told about it. I don't ever remember getting a leaflet or anything about it at any checkup, even with Lily and Dylan. Like, this is my third baby. I don't ever remember hearing those three letters yeah. to do with any of my kids before. And like, now it's funny that this year we had it in April and so that got really bad. And now... There's loads of awareness being raised about it now, which is amazing because yeah. so many people have messaged and said, I've never heard of this. What is this thing? Yeah. So actually, it's probably worthwhile. You've done a lot of, of information things on it, but what is RSV? So this, for people listening to this who didn't catch the last episode, just have a little flick back because I fully, I go into it in a lot of detail there. But basically, RSV is respiratory syncytial virus. And it causes inflammation and irritation in the bronchi, basically, in your baby's lungs. And because of that inflammation, they can really struggle to breathe. But it also comes with symptoms like blocked nose, you know, a bit of a, a low grade fever, 
dipped appetite, that kind of thing. Um, so dehydration can be an issue with it. The fever is never usually too bad, too extreme like other conditions. But bronchiolitis is, I suppose, the presentation of RSV in the lungs. So you have the virus RSV and what it does to the lungs is called called bronchiolitis. So that in- so they both come together. So RSV is the leading cause of bronchiolitis. It's not the only cause. So the symptoms in the lungs are bronchiolitis and that inflammation and that difficulty to be able to get the right levels of oxygen into your your baby's bloodstream, basically. So I suppose the performance of the lungs are impaired. And a lot of children will have RSV by the time they are two. That's the, the normal kind of age group that they would have had it and had immunity. Some children, it'll just look like a normal cold and you won't even know they had it and they'll yet they'll have developed immunity. But now what I'm finding, so say if we take the last three weeks as an example, and even last year, last year, the rates of RSV were something like three to four times higher than pre-COVID times. This year, wow. the first two weeks, so week 39 and 40, they were like 15% up on last year, which was already really, really, really high. And it's predominantly affecting the zero to four age group and causing, you know, difficulty in that age group. And you do have to wonder, did lockdown maybe prevent, you know, children coming across before? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they didn't have it before. So now we're having maybe double the amount of sick babies that we normally would. Of that, there's going to be some who need hospital attention. So on top of COVID, on top of flu, which is also kind of rumbling away gently in the background, it's not too bad now, the levels are still low, but it did start to circulate earlier this year than other years. So with all of that combined, you know, you've got a lot of increase in hospitalizations and pressure on the children's hospitals. And it's it's just a delicate winter, I think, this year. The only thing I'd say that gave me a bit of hope about the RSV was the la- the two previous weeks were up significantly for RSV. But this week just gone, so kind of the middle of October week, wasn't as high. So it was high, but it wasn't as high. So I wonder, did it just arrive earlier? So unfortunately... Okay. Do you think it's because it's so mild still? Like this is, it's a very seasonal virus this one it's like flu it comes at this time of year do you know and even there are other loads of other viruses like you know when your child is cold it's likely they have rhinovirus or an enterovirus like these are viruses that are normal absolutely okay that they're circulating this time of year normally children can cope with them well you might just think they have a cold um the reason obviously things get a lot worse during the winter generally this virus just starts circulating people are indoors a lot more you know children are i suppose get the windows open interacting but then at the same time if you have the windows open you could be worsening conditions like asthma if your child has asthma or yeah so you you can't win and i think this you is, can't win this is the thing like even there you said i gave him covid you're like no you didn't give I him totally did give i'm like you, 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 you didn't did. you didn't wrap it up in a bow and go i know <laughs> here you go this is a gift from me to you like it happens and that's normal and that's not anybody's fault. Like, I can tell you now, he is going to give you a lot more than you have. Oh, I know. <laughs> and that's just the nature of these bugs. They circulate around houses. My own child had a horrendous vomiting bug last weekend. I never really had no. had such a kind of, oh, 
horrible experience of it before and she was just 12 hours and it just did not stop and God bless her she was crying she wanted to go to sleep and she oh couldn't because she was just constantly vomiting like and you know like you can't do anything about that and when you're a mother you're going to jump in bed with your child no matter what's coming out of them you know you're just going to cuddle them and love them and you know sometimes it'll spread all around the house and sometimes like we were very lucky I still don't know how I didn't um, catch it but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Dylan's the only one in this house that hasn't had COVID. We all got it. He's still, I think it's the ginger hair. I think he's just invincible. There might be something to that. Because my child had COVID, I slept in the bed, didn't get her. I'm immunocompromised. I'm one of the people at risk of COVID. And I'm like, how? I work, I've worked obviously in the pharmacy the whole way through the pandemic. You know, oh no days out. I still haven't caught it. I think they need to do research in. I, I would not got it. No. And like, that's, my that's husband. Maybe you're asymptomatic. Maybe you're one of them. I re- I, Maybe no, you've had it and no, you just have no symptoms. I'm a testing lunatic. If anyone in the house has it. Okay. Because I'm so conscious I'm going into work. Say at the moment we're, yeah, having, yeah, yeah. we're vaccinating the over 65s and the at-risk groups. So I'm like, I would never not test if there was a hint of it in the house. But yeah, we're few and far between at this stage. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard because we're at the stage that we're like, is he sick enough for me to go to the doctor? When I, I feel like with the RSV... I probably was two days past when I should have actually brought him to the hospital, if you get me. And I wonder, would he have gotten as bad as he did had we not gone to the, the private game reserve and had we gone to the hospital that day? You know, I always, and I know shoulda, woulda, coulda. I do know that. And there's always oh. going to be the parental guilt that comes with it all. But what would you say, like, so in normal circumstances of a baby, like he was, what, four months old? So he was 16, 17 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Like, when do you go when when does a parent need to go to a doctor and that's really important because first of all even if you had brought them earlier all they would have done and been able to do and all they can do for bronchiolitis is symptom relief okay so they would have had them on those nebules that help relieve breathing you know they would have ensured he had fluids for you know to make sure he didn't get dehydration and a bit of energy if he wasn't feeding but it is a virus they can't give magic antibiotics because antibiotics will not work for the virus so what's really important here is that your child may well just be able to manage it at home and you know ultimately it's that fine line you obviously don't want to clog up the hospital system unnecessarily at a time of pressure but at the same time and more importantly is that no one will ever 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 give out to you for going into A&E because you're worried about your sick baby and gut instinct is the leading I think you know a leading thing gut instinct comes from I suppose being aware and considering all of the information as well so any difficulty breathing that's a key reason to go into hospital also if they're taking less than 50% of their normal feeds you know over the last kind of two to three hours for a very young baby that'd be the guidance that you know there's a risk of dehydration and dehydration can actually be serious in very young babies so you're also when they're working harder to breathe they're Mm -hmm. more tired so they don't want to feed as much because they're tired because they're working so hard to try and breathe yeah and that blocked nose that comes with bronchiolitis the runny nose babies when they're feeding are feeding obviously with their mouth so they have to breathe through their nose so definitely using something like a saline nasal spray before feed can actually have the clear the nasal passageway so at least just for temporarily so that they can breathe through their nose to have their feed to have the feed yeah yeah. um and that can just help keep them on top the if they're very tired and irritable that's another thing like if they're falling asleep when they wouldn't normally or like there a few minutes ago you know Abby was waving away at me 
you know, responding to normal interaction, that's good. If they stop being capable of doing that or they're just just falling back asleep when they wouldn't normally, that's important. You need to kind of react to that. And then, as I said there, temperature obviously normally isn't a huge issue with bronchiolitis, but in rare cases it can be or it can be a sign of other conditions. And even look, there's viral meningitis and everything going around at the moment. Um, now, viral meningitis is very different and I would implore people to listen to. I have an episode, if you just look through the episodes, there's one called Please Listen and Act for Meningitis. I go through it a lot there because they're very different symptoms and it has a very quick onset. So you're talking okay. kind of a few hours of rapid deterioration before, whereas with bronchiolitis, it's three to five days before. Three to five days, yeah. The, the worst happens. And, and because of that three to five days, you're kind of the going, oh, look, this is fine. They must be nearly at the tail end of it. And then you go, well, this is it. Yeah. And we'll ride the wave. And, yeah. you know, he must be nearly over. Now we've had it for a few days or you might have one morning. So the the morning, be- the morning we left to go away for the couple of days, he seemed much better, like yeah. much better. But by the evening, then it's like he had nosedived. Now, I don't know whether it was the events of the day or what, but like just that evening, he got so much worse. And then the following day, then we went back to the consultant, then to the physio, and then landed ourselves in A&E. This kind of false sense of security of like, oh no, we're good, we're, we've ridden it now, and it seems to be getting better. And then all of a sudden, bang, he just hit a wall and yeah. really struggled then. After two days of treatment and oxygen, to give his lungs a break, he was like a new baby again with the, the physio. Now I know the physio obviously isn't done here, so I don't want to dwell too much on that. Um, be a big part of Alby's treatment but and there is a lot you can do to clear that mucus so like in other ways so you can even on really young babies you know you can use saline nasal sprays kind of regularly like before every feed and before bedtime sometimes people will use kind of a humidifier in the room which helps to keep that mucus running and prevent it thickening out so like we have one online the medisana one and I like that one. It has a little disc in the side that you can add, like, do you know the Snuffle Babe oil? All of that. Oh, very good. Yeah, it helps to kind of keep mucus running and stop it getting clogged, which can help with the breathing. But even things like, do you know, a lot of, a lot of people are like, okay, I don't have humidifier and it's living, cost of living crisis. I don't be forking out anything additional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mightn't, you might, you know, until you are in the situation, you don't know you need it. So even putting um, a damp towel on a radiator if your heat is on or warm bowl of water like under the radiator with a few drops of, you know, the Snuffle Bay boil, anything like this can really help to add a bit of humidity to dry, cold winter air. And what about bringing them into the bathroom and just fucking on the hot water and the room fill with like, steam? That is where you should be reading your last bedtime story or doing your last feed for younger okay. babies. Absolutely. Like my, I always laugh because like if one child is sick, I'm like to the other ones, go in there now and have a bath for a while. <laughs> Multitask. Let's make use of this Close steam. The door. Let's get yeah. you all better. <laughs> get it all steamy. And, and how long should they be in the steam for? That's what I've always, I did it to yeah. them recently and I was like, I actually have no idea how long I'm supposed to sit in here. So like, you're only going to get your bathroom, you know, so steamy. Like it's not easy to create a full on you know, spa, hotel, steam environment. (laughs) So I would say a good like 20 minutes. Like if you can, it depends now, obviously it's going to come down to practicalities. So however much of your bedtime routine that you can do, but definitely bring a cushion for the floor because I've been (laughs) been there before. And you're (laughs) like, this is not comfortable. But that, and that's where those plug-in humidifiers are good because they'll just run all night because steaming. And what about the the clever mama one? The 
we have that one upstairs. The is it a humidifier? I haven't seen that one now. Salt lamp, I think. Okay. But it shoots out steam. Okay, so that's so basically I normally recommend if you're using salt therapy to use the Salon Plus because salt and humidity, if you can imagine, they don't actually work well together. It's one or the other, really, because salt attracts water. Okay, and salt is heavier when it attracts water. So if you have salt that you're trying to release into the room, it won't get into the bronchial airways unless it is tiny microcrystalline salt particles. Okay, they have to be able to float in the air. Okay, and if they are take if they're in a room that has high humidity, they're not small enough. They clump together. They're not able to free float enough into the respiratory airways. So. There's two different products that I always talk about. One of them is the Salon Plus, and that's something that I use every night as a preventative thing because it's great at preventing congestion and um, inflammation in the airways in children who kind of are suffering from recurrent coughs and colds. But once you have a lot of nasal congestion, so some viruses hit and you're just full of snots in the house, basically that is when I would plug out my Salon Plus and literally go hide it in the hot press or something away from the humidity and plug in the Medisanic humidifier. Let the steam build up overnight because the steam is better at getting rid of blocked, blocked noses. Because the particles are so tiny, so it gets right in there. So, so the, the, the steam is basically moisturising the airways. So what happens at night is the cold air and breathing through their nose all of the mucus that's in their nasal passageways and then dripping down into their lungs becomes thicker and thicker. So by adding the steam, you're diluting it, keeping it thinner and thinner, and it can just run like it normally would down the back of the throat. Yeah, it is interesting. And people get very confused about the difference between those two products. And they're really not to that like salt and water shouldn't be together. They're not going to do anything if they're not apart, if you know what I mean. So I always describe it that salt, so like the Salon Plus is preventative, so it helps to keep all the airways in really good condition. And for children with asthma, they have actually a natural, regular problem with thickening mucus. So they would use that all the time. Whereas with, you know, other kids, it it might be things like hay fever or whatever that triggers. So that's good. That is good for that. But when when it's a very thick mucusy kind of problem and that only yeah. use, usually lasts for a week or so you'd be kind of putting the salon plus away and digging out a humidifier but equally the same with humidifier like if you can't if you don't have access to a humidifier like that's okay like there's enough other things to be getting and if it's few and far between that you have respiratory problems in the house then literally damp towel on the radiator and you know like you said steam up the bathroom all of those kind of natural tips are really useful yeah. and hydration is key as well because Keeping hydrated helps to keep mucus from thickening out as well. So just trying to get with a baby, it's so hard. Oh, they just so literally lock that jaw, and they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, "Not drinking that." Yeah, and like to be fair, you know, when you're sick yourself, you've no appetite. You've oh, like you. mucus, and especially for babies, they're so reliant. Like we can sip on water and take a breath, sip on water and take a breath. Much harder for babies latching on, latching off. They get confused. Yeah. It's, it's not their normal way of feeding. And it just adds stress. And then you don't know if they have a little sore throat or sore ears that are hurting when they're feeding. So it can be a bit of detective work, you know. Um, His ears were really, 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 really bad as well. Actually, now that you mentioned ears. Yeah. Um, yeah, what I found fascinating with it was the cough. For the amount of mucus and phlegm that he seemed to have, the cough 
to me should have been chestier, as in like you know the wet cough, you know the proper chesty cough. Yeah, but it was like a, a little dry cough to begin with, like yeah. a little kind of <laughs> you know. And that but then is... but the amount of mucus that came with it, I was like, how is this cough so? Yeah. Nor- not normal, but you know what I mean. Is and it wasn't a proper chesty clammy cough. All kind of comes from the nose and post-nasal drip so often the mucus isn't even getting into the chest okay so like it's going into their tummy and making them puke or it's going down and they're coughing that up as it comes along but the dry cough like that irritated kind of wheezy sound is coming from inflammation so like in a say a, a regular bacterial chest infection it would be the mucus stuck in the lungs that's causing that whereas with this it's you can feel the crackle and you can feel the inflation, the struggle of their breaths because of the inflammation in the airways. Do you know, it's it's different. I yeah. actually, I have a little um, sound bite of uh, bronchiolitis cough in the last episode so people can listen oh, to that. Yeah, it's horrible, but um, helpful yeah. just because there's so many different kinds of coughs. Yeah. Well, that's it. And like the, the breathing thing again, like I would never have known like babies obviously go through all these different breathing patterns. And I remember when he was a newborn, I used to stare at him because obviously having four miscarriages in a row, I just, I still, it, it took me and still does take me a long time to actually accept that he is okay and that there's nothing wrong with him and that he is just perfect. Yeah. Um, it's like a psychological thing. Like well, there has to be something wrong with him. Like I had four miscarriages before him, so he can't be okay. Like there has to be something. Yeah. And I remember just staring at him, watching him breathe. And I was so fascinated by all of their different breathing patterns. Like they can breathe normally, they can breathe really fast. If they're you know, having a nice dream, it can be different again. And I remember in Tala, he, and it was only because I stared at him so much when he had COVID. Um, and I remember saying to the doctor, like he, he stopped breathing for like a few seconds and then he took this one big breath and he was like, you know, that's perfectly normal for a baby of eight weeks to do that. And I was like, what? And he was like, babies can stop breathing for 20 seconds and then they can start breathing again. And it's, it's a perfectly normal breathing rhythm for them. to, And I was like, what? But I had never, I had never sat watching and him. watched him breathing that for, for any prolonged, but there was only the two of us sitting in the hospital. So I used to just sit there, just stare at him. And he was like, it, it's normal for him to not breathe for a few seconds and then take breath. That's what babies do. Yeah. And only for the friend, like Michael's friend, who, who told us to keep an eye on his breathing and how he's breathing. Again, it's something I would never have known to look out for because I just assumed that because he wasn't feeling well, you know, that he was breathing a bit heavier than normal, but he wasn't. He was pulling in. His lungs weren't filling at yeah. all with air. And you have a really good really struggling. video of that on your Instagram under Oris oh, Highlights. Yeah, it's just, Aldi, yeah. Yeah, get people to, to look at that because it does show it really, really clearly. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's in a highlight now. Somebody asked me to save it. So I say it's just, yeah, just popped it in a highlight but it's yeah. it's just interesting to see where they're breathing from so yeah. a normal baby's breath am i right in saying their tummies should be going yeah. up and down yeah yeah and they shouldn't be they shouldn't be pulling in you know that much it should be easy there shouldn't be so much effort and then the speed starts yeah. to come with it and while you know like i saying their pauses in breath are kind of okay but if there's regular struggle and they're not you know they're not keeping a normal oh room, yeah yeah that is another hospital scenario. But it's, look, it's a minefield. And you have to remember that it's not like you need to identify things straight away. Like, look, with RSV, 
you're going to be judging it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. You're going to be in that situation and you're only going to be able to do what your gut is telling you to do at that moment. And that'll change, you know, one second to the next. I think being aware helps you to make better decisions. So I'm really grateful for you sharing your experience today because it's just so important. I suppose parents know what to look for and to hear I'll be chatting in the background there. <laughs> Sorry, I did think he would sleep for the hour of the <laughs> no. chat, but no such luck. I would just like to say I think he contributed a lot. And <laughs> look what happens when you come out the other side of wars being bronchiolitis. Well, this is it. This is it. Thank you yeah. so, so much, Sinead, for joining me today to help increase awareness no problem. Thank on you for having me. If you enjoy listening to a Wonder Baba podcast, I'd be really grateful if you could follow or subscribe and leave a review. It really helps to support the show. Thank you.